Greetings and welcome to the worship services of Alamo First Baptist Church. I'm Brother Chris Rigby. I'm standing here this morning in front of our bell. This is the original bell that was at our old location uh, years ago. It uh, was there when the church was first built and it was always a call to worship. Well, when we moved to our new campus here several years ago, we brought it with us. And not too long ago, we got to put it up. We're so excited about it because it reminds us that we're coming together into this building to worship. And we are excited that today you've decided to tune in to our broadcast to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our prayer this morning is that you will see the great love that Jesus has for you and the great love that we have for you as well this morning as we worship together. We look forward to meeting you and your family and we invite you to be a part of any of our worship services, our activities or ministries here and if you'd like to get in touch with us, probably the best way to do that is just drop us a line at our email address, alamofirstbaptist at gmail.com. All of it spelled out, just gmail.com, alamofirstbaptist. We look forward this morning to worshiping with you. We pray God's blessings upon you and your family as we go inside now and we worship together. Let's go ring that bell for Jesus. Praise Thee, O God, for the Son of Thy love, for Jesus who died and is now born above. Hallelujah, Thine the glory. Hallelujah, Amen. Hallelujah, Thine the glory. Revive us again. We praise It's good to see you this morning. I'm glad that you're here. Hope everything is going good in your world and uh, continue to stay safe as uh, we are still in this kind of COVID watch. Continue to pray for our teachers and our, our kids as they're uh, transitioning, I think might be the best word for school because some of them are going just once a day, uh, once a week for three weeks and then kind of going from there. And the little ones, do they go all week this week? Some, they don't yet. Uh, so anyway, be in prayer for our schools and administrators, our teachers, and our kids. Deacons, we got a meeting next week after uh, the uh, worship service, so you guys uh, make, sure, make sure you make note of that. 
Uh, I think Children's Committee, y'all have got a meeting after the uh, worship service today, so stick around for that. But it is good to see you. Uh, we'll open up with a word of prayer and uh, ask God to bless our time together and our offering uh, as well. Heavenly, huh? The youth are going to be playing paintball on the 13th. Youth are playing paintball on the 13th. All right. Two weeks from today. Two weeks from today. Any questions, just see Brian about that. He'll get the information to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for our time together. Uh, we thank you for the privilege of being here in your house, uh, being together online and able to worship, to sing, to glorify you. We also, Lord, thank you for speaking to us your word as we look at it today. Help us to be faithful uh, in seeing what it is that you want for us to know and to, to glean from it, Lord, that we might live a more holy and faithful life to you. Lord, we also pray for our youth and our, our kids and our teachers and our administrators as they're transitioning into school, and even our college kids, Lord, as they're uh, going back and uh, now trying to do college in, in perhaps a different way in this COVID age. We pray for safety. We pray for the numbers to continue to go down. Things have been getting better, Lord. We are looking forward to maybe opening up a few more ministries here in the uh, next month and kind of getting back to some normalcy. Lord, that's our prayer. That's our desire. We know that, God, these things are in your hands and you're faithful and we can trust and depend upon you. Lord, we do pray this morning to uh, take the offering as it is being given, uh, either online, being mailed in, given today. Lord, to, to take it and use it to the glory of your name and to the work of the kingdom, Lord, that we can continue to reach people, particularly lost people in our community and around the world. Uh, that don't know the good news of Jesus. Lord, today, help us to glorify and exalt you in all that we do. We, we pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Won't you stand with us as we continue to worship? Living water 
this morning and we just thank you that you took all of our shame everything that made us objects of your wrath and you wiped that away on the cross when we ask you to be our lord and our savior you created a new being and from that point forward lord everything that we've done past present or future every sin that we've ever done is covered in your blood and your love and we just thank you for that promise that we have in christ we want to tell you again we love you today and we ask it all in jesus holy and precious name Amen. You can be seated. Amen. Take your Bible this morning and open to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to be there. It's going to be a little bit before we get there. That's the largest passage that we're going to look at today. We're going to be in several places today together. So uh, most of those, I'll refer to those and put those on screen for you. But this morning, I want us to think about this subject what should our Baptist and biblical worldview be of male and female roles in today's culture and church? We've been in a series, The God Questions, exploring the tough questions of life. And we actually come to the end of the series as far as this series goes. It's been an apologetic series. I mentioned Wednesday night uh, that that service and sermon was part of today's message. So if you missed it. Uh, I do want to encourage you to go back and relook at Wednesday night's message. I just want to refer real quickly that we were talking about how you make decisions sometimes, particularly over things that are debated. And we said there are tier one, tier two, and tier three decision points. Tier one are absolutes. You can't give those up. They must be held. Uh, and uh, those are the things that are worth uh, living and dying over, okay, like salvation through Christ and Christ alone. Tier two things are our convictions. Those are the things that you and I uh, deeply believe according to the Word of God. And there's perhaps maybe a little bit of ground there where we can kind of give and take on those things. But they're kind of the things that uh, identify us, the things that, that, that form us. For example, that's those areas that tend to make Baptist Baptist and Methodist Methodist and, and, and others uh, uh, their uh, particular conviction of faith. And then that third tier is opinions, and that, that can happen within churches, and, and you know, we could disagree over things that just really aren't all that uh, important, but we still get along with one another. When we look at the subject matter for today, I want you to understand that I place that in a tier two level, okay? 
it's not an absolute, it's not an opinion, it's a conviction, and uh, it is what makes us who we are as Baptists uh, in particular, but it's also one of those things in which we might differ a little bit uh, from Baptist to Baptist on as we see it. I want to give you two passages of Scripture at the beginning here. One we read last week, we actually referred to both of these last week when we talked about God and gender. The last three messages, or the last two messages plus this one, has actually been a combination of each one. We talked about same-sex attraction, homosexuality, the difference between male and female that God created and, and, and uh, complementing each other and putting each, uh, those two together. Then we talked about the gender itself, the gender debate last week. What does it mean to be male? What does it mean to be female? And then, of course, today we're going to talk about how that's played out in the church and in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ that we have. But Genesis uh, 1, verse 27 we're told that God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And then we mention in Matthew uh, 19, verse 4, and Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? So Jesus affirms what the Bible tells us in the very first chapter as far as uh, men and women and our creation and what it means. Now, I want to say, before we really get going this morning, that your pastor must be absolutely nuts. Absolutely nuts to preach this message. As early as Tuesday of this week, I thought about calling in sick. I thought, Lord, maybe I can get one more week between study and sermon. Uh, but I, did, I didn't call in sick because that was for your, your sake. Uh, I've got 30 pages of notes this morning. If I waited another week, we might have been at 60. And really, it's been a hard problem trying to know where to go, where not to go, where to stop, and, and where finally just to say, this is all I can give you. The, the trouble that I'm in this morning, I knew right away because if you notice the, the title on the screen, and, and I, I'll show you the title on my iPad, Three pay, it's three lines long. It's all usually one, rarely two, and never three. I, I knew we were in trouble when I put the title together, and I really couldn't figure out what to cut out of the title. Beyond giving the Lord glory, beyond telling you this morning of what I believe is God's good grace, I, I pray that you leave here saying, well, our pastor is brave. I, I hope you'll go out with a good, good thought of your pastor. The morning, this morning, our debate actually carries us back to the mid-17th centuries, as far as Baptists go, back to England. That's how long this debate, at least within a Baptist life itself, has been playing out. Truth is, we as Baptists have a long history of disagreeing over things. I didn't know if you knew that or not, but we as Baptists like disagreeing over things. But I don't think that's necessarily a Baptist truth. I think that's well, that's true of most all other denominations as well. Uh, as you look around at different uh, denominational or evangelical faiths, you'll find that they also have a history of disagreeing. Matter of fact, early Baptists disagreed over, for example, salvation. Was it really available to everyone, or is salvation only uh, for those who have been predestined? Uh, that argument is still somewhat played out today, even though... Uh, we say that it's a settled thing and that salvation is for all that would come to Christ. There was also a disagreement in early Baptist life as to do we sing hymns or not? 
Believe that or not? I mean, you know, today the argument's what? Well, do we sing traditional hymns or do we uh, sing contemporary songs or do we do a blend of both? Uh, the fight actually at one time was whether or not we even sang hymns at all because to add anything to worship uh, was thought perhaps maybe to be uh, uh, just uh, to, to, to dishonor God in some way. This is the big question today. What is the worldview of the male and female role within culture and within the church? You might ask the question, well, why should we examine this debate? Now, let me give you four reasons this morning why it's so important. One, because there are genuine implications for the church today. There are real things at stake for our church today and churches like us and in totality the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Two, because there is genuine consequences for men and women today. Uh, how it plays out in our individual lives, uh, particularly over the calling of God. Three, because of the very real implications of reaching a lost world around us today. You better know that Satan would use anything and everything that he can to keep someone from coming to Jesus for salvation. And finally, because the lost world around us is judging the positions that we take, in particularly regarding this debate. One of the uh, main readers that we've had in this apologetic series, or at least for me in my study, has been uh, Dr. Al Mohler. He's also one of the key writers for most of the apologetics for Southern Baptist today. Uh, he's one of our leading thinkers. He's the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and I've been quoting him quite a bit. And I want to quote him again. I want to give it to you, uh, give you something else from him well, at least one more time uh, out of this series. He wrote an article and did actually a podcast entitled, Is There Really Widespread Evangelical Support for Women Serving as Pastors? And, he, and it's entitled, A Closer Look at a Recent Research. I want to give you just a bit of that article because he does a wonderful job of framing this debate so well, and particularly those four things that we just mentioned as reasons we're here today. So listen to what he said. Biblically-minded Christians find ourselves increasingly marginalized, not perhaps because of the overt persecution, but because when you and I are looking at the vast change like this, the new begins to replace the old. And in this case, the message is very clear. The new is the progressive and left. The old is Christian and conservative. That's the basic narrative that is being trumpeted throughout the entire culture today. And when it comes to the response from those who identify themselves as Christians, you will see those two different responses. In other words, are we new and progressive in our thinking, or are we going to hold to our traditions and hold to conservatism in terms of literally taking the Bible at its word? That's the debate. So he goes on to say, one change in order to stay rev relevant, in other words, to keep up with the times, or stick with convictions, or pay the cultural price. In other words, do you keep up with the day's cultural changes or do you stick with uh, your convictions and pay the price culturally? There are, all, there are different ways to express those two alternatives, but they still remain two rather stark alternatives. They're far apart from each other. And as you look, are looking at some of the most recent headlines, these issues do come to the front. When you consider the issue, for example, and this is what we're going to talk about today, 
of women in the church, ministry, the question of gender and sexuality in the church, all of this begins to heat up to what he calls a rapid boil. And in order to consider these issues today, he says, I want us to look at some research that was recently put forward by an assistant professor of political science at Eastern Illinois University. It got a lot of headlines in religious news services and other places. His name, Ryan Burge. We're going to be looking at three of the headlines from one last year to this year and from the last several weeks. But back in 2019, just about the time that the Southern Baptist Convention was meeting in Birmingham, Alabama, Burge contributed an article to the Religion News Science with this headline, Most Southern Baptist Women Would Welcome a Woman Pastor, and It's Unlikely to Happen. Dr. Mulder says, now that is an attention-getting headline, isn't it? And if he says, you just take that headline at face value, it tells us that the majority of Southern Baptist women today, and that's the word in the headline, most would welcome a woman as a pastor of the church. Now, Dr. Mulder says that's a rather stunning statement when you consider the fact that out of almost 40,000 plus churches who are associated with the Southern Baptist Convention, not a one of them has a pastor. And he goes on to explain every Southern Baptist church is autonomous, can decide for themselves what they want to do. He said, yet out of 40,000, not a one of them has a pastor. But nonetheless, related issues have been controversy throughout the evangelical world for some time. And they've been a controversy in the Southern Baptist Convention. In order to understand, you have to go back to the 1970s and 80s when the building momentum from the left of the Southern Baptist Convention was towards allowing and accepting women as pastors of churches. I was in seminary during this time. I can tell you I was in the middle of the fight when this was going on. I remember seeing it played out at Southern Seminary. But the Southern Baptist Convention said with a very loud no, with a very loud word, no, to that in 1984 in the form of a re- resolution, and then in the year 2000, a rewriting of the denomination's com- com- uh, confession of faith known as the Baptist Faith and Message. That's that second-tier decision, all right? At this point, the Southern Baptist said, we're just simply going to say unconviction, no, to women being pastors. That was revised again in 2013. But uh, Southern Baptists made it very clear that the office of pastor is limited to women. So there you have it. There's the debate in the nutshell. And that same debate that was fought out in the mid-80s through the 90s, decided on in the early 2000s, is still around. Southern Baptists have not heard the last of this debate. And, And we might be asking the question, why is it important? And if you were to ask maybe a, a, a typical Southern Baptist church member and say to them, well, why do you believe uh, that the role of pastor is only for men? Well, most of them probably would just give you this answer. Well, because we do. That's just because we're Southern Baptists. But what do you say beyond that? You might even find a few brave Southern Baptists that might even pull out the Bible and and quote some scripture. They might, for example, quote 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. 
And do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And if you were to meet that Southern Baptist, you'd say, oh, they're, they're rather brave, aren't they? But begin to ask that same Southern Baptist, well, what does the Bible mean when it talks about when, uh, women wearing coverings in church uh, and how they dress in church and uh, talking about how women ought to be submissive to their husbands? And let me just tell you, most Southern Baptists, particularly men, if you're asking them that question, would turn and run in a heartbeat. They'd be like, well, I don't know that. I'm gone. You know, call the preacher. Call the preacher. The truth is we need to be prepared to answer these questions. This is a hard question. We need to be prepared to answer the questions that, that come at us in season and out of season, the Bible tells us. In other words, when questions are easier or when they're not. We need to be assured of what the Bible says, even when it comes to tough passages such as 1 Timothy chapter 2 there. We need to be able to answer the harder passages. For example, 1 Corinthians 11, 4 and 5. Paul says, every man who prays or prophecies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophecies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. What does that mean? I mean, you, you come to that kind of passage, you're thinking, what in the world? What are we to do with these passages? I believe that we need to seek to be faithful to all Scripture. And we need to say, how does this passage fit in the full revelation of God's Word? So with that in mind, I want to give you some thoughts today. Let me first of all give you what I want to call the two compete, compete, competing views. These aren't the first two points, by the way, so just hold, hold on to your pen. But, but you need to understand these two views. These are the polar views as it relates to women, particularly in ministry. The first one, and if you could spell this, you're doing better than I could, uh, egalitarianism, big word, what does it mean? It is the view that states men and women are absolutely equal in every area of life. This view is the dominant view in modern feminists today. Under this view, both men and women have the right to preach, serve as deacons, pastors, and elders of the church. There are absolutely no restrictions in this view. There's no restrictions placed upon women in the church or in society. This is the dominant view in the modern minds of culture today. And let me say it is also the majority view of churches today, evangelical churches today, in, in the majority of things hold to this view. The proponents of this view would quote, for example, Galatians 3 verse 28, and it reads, there is neither Jew or Greek, there's neither bond or free, there is neither male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. All right? So that's the view, egalitarianism, all right? Don't make me say that too often. Now the second view, and this is where you're going to find Southern Baptist, is complementarianism. All right, there's another big word. If you can spell that one, good luck to you. This view, this is the Southern Baptist view, teaches that men and women are created equal but different. The difference between men and women serve to complement the areas which each gender might be lacking. Under this view, men and women stand as spiritual eagles in Jesus, but their specific genders fill different roles within the church. The biblical view holds that, uh, or this complementarianism view, which 
tries to maintain a biblical view, holds that when God created Adam, a, a, a woman from Adam's rib, he said this, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a help meet for him. Genesis 2, 18. That phrase, help meet, literally means one who completes, one who helps, one who complements. Thus, while men and women are spiritually equals in the eyes of God, he does expect them to fulfill different roles within the family and within the church. So Southern Baptists, including myself, including our church, hold to this complementarian view of the Bible. But before we get into much more, let me just be real clear. I want to stress this and I want to state this. Every time that we look at each other and talk to each other as men and women, we should always remember that the person we are talking to is a creature who is more like God than anything else in the universe. And men and women share that status made in the image of God equally. Men and women are equal in the image of God. That also means that men and women are equal in importance to God. That men and women are equal in importance to the mission of God in this world. Now, I'm not going to argue the two views against each other today. Uh, space and time don't allow for that. Uh, last week, I think I told you in the message of God and gender, there was very little writing. And I was really surprised, particularly from a Christian standpoint, on God and gender. There was really about two books that you can find. Uh, and, and then the week before, I told you there was uh, several books as far as... Uh, same-sex attraction, uh, there again, there weren't very many on the Christian side, and there was a whole lot of books on the uh, cultural side of things. But I want to tell you that this week, dear friend, I, I feel like I've been hit by a tsunami and an avalanche all at the same time. I run over also by 100 uh, different Mack trucks. I mean, there, there is just so much out there. I, I mean, I can't begin to explain to you uh, this is just one of the books, folks, I read this week, okay? One of many. And I want to tell you something else before we get a little bit deeper, too. If you're going to ask me about my position, how settled is it? I want to confessionally say that it, it's not a 100% settled position either. Because there's still so much out there that I've yet to even be able to pour through to be able to say, all right, 100%, let me just say this is it. Now, my position may be about 99.2, all right? But I want to leave a little bit of wiggle room there and say it's a big issue. And I also want to say that I believe that many are going to have a different view on this topic. And, and there will be some here today that, that will see some things differently. I understand that. And, and, and the arguments on both sides are really good, and they're sound. And you can be a good and genuine Christian and disagree with each other on this topic. And again, I think there will be some, perhaps, that may feel differently. And I also want to be clear that Chris Rigby doesn't ever claim to have a corner on the truth. Every day I seek to be as faithful as I can in my study to show myself approved. I also want to state for the church, First Baptist Church Alamo does not claim to have a corner on the truth. 
Every day we try to study to show ourselves approved as good workmen unto the Lord, right? To be faithful. And so uh, that, that, that's, that's kind of in the understanding and in the heart today. But what I do want to give you is an understanding of what this complementarianism view means because it is what Southern Baptists hold, and it is what is lived out here in First Baptist Church, Alamo, and it is what your pastor holds. So even among Southern Baptists, let me just say this, you will find minute differences. Not every Southern Baptist church is going to be alike. And while some may hold to a harder pattern than another one, you can find differences, and you're not even going two miles down the road and, you know, you're at another Southern Baptist church and, and, and they exercise or they live out that faith, that conviction in just a slightly different way. So I want us to understand all of that as we look at two things within the uh, compartment, uh, the complementarian view of uh, this. So here's point number one. We finally got there. What the creation story teaches us. And I want to give you three lessons that we get. We, we started in Genesis. Three lessons that Genesis gives us, the creation story. Number one, we are created in a divine image. Now, you should have got that out of verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In the image of God, we were created. Do you understand, dear friend? What an incredible privilege that means. Do you understand what that means? It means that we were made with the express purpose of representing God. We are a mirror of God in this world. It is a privilege that's only given to men and women. It is a privilege not given to angels or to animals after any other created thing in this world, not even creation itself. You know, I always kind of get a little aggravated when people talk about people becoming angels. And I know what they mean by that, but dear friend, God has not created you and I to be angels. They don't bear his image. You are an image bearer of God. Furthermore, it wasn't given only to man, but to both men and women. Made in the image of God means that we are of equal importance to God, it means that we are of equal worth to God. And it also means that there is not in any way a lesser of the sexes. Equal with God. If you want to see how this is measured out, let me ask you something. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Which one's less God? None of them. God the Son is as much God as God the Father. God the Holy Spirit is as much God as God the Son and God the Father, right? But each are different. That's the way it is with men and women. We are in the image of God. We're not lesser because we are a man or a woman. So lesson number one, there is this uh, uh, image, all right, created in the image. Lesson number two, celebrate the differences. When God created man and woman, he made us the way he made us. We said this last week. Male and female. We celebrate what God has given us as a grace gift by, by way of our birth. We may have to bear the cross 
uh, that says, well, we don't really feel like a man if we're, in a, uh, we're born a woman or we're a woman uh, and, and uh, born that way and we don't, we don't feel like a woman, we feel more like a man. We may have to bear that cross, but how we were born is how God made us to be. Genesis teaches this, Jesus affirms this in the New Testament, both in Mark's gospel and we read Matthew's gospel. Now, when God created us male and female, he did so with big differences. One of the biggest differences that come between man and women, uh, men and women is what? Women can what? Have children. I don't know about you guys, but that's a big difference. And uh, I, I think it's one of the greatest blessings that God has given among the differences. In my opinion, uh, mothers have the greater blessing. Uh, the mothers that I know have said, you know, what a joy there is to carry within you another life for nine months. And matter of fact, think about it. How much more like God can you be than being a life giver yourself? Right? There's a big difference. Complementarianism believes that the Bible reveals the nature of masculinity and the nature of femininity. That those natures are described and revealed as a divine responsibility given by God to men and to women. John Piper says uh, uh, in his writing, at the heart of each of these roles, here's what we find. Mature masculinity is a sense of benevolent responsibility to lead, provide for, and protect women in appropriate ways to man's differing relationships. In other words, men, you have a responsibility to, 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 to take care of women, to, to seek out their good, to, 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 to uh, honor them in every way you can. And when you hear of a man that does not honor a woman and has mistreated a woman in any way, dear friend, you have violated the divine purpose and responsibility God has given to you in your masculinity. But mature femininity, Piper says, is a freeing, F-R-E-E-I-N-G, freeing disposition to affirm and receive and nurture strength and leadership from worthy men in ways of appropriateness to a woman's differing relationship. In other words, when you understand what God's role is for you, you don't have any problem accepting what God has asked for men to be in your life. So when you live up to the Bible's thing, look, when you live up to the Bible's nature, men and women, it's a beautiful thing. It's an honoring thing. We complement one another. That's what the word complementarianism means. We fit together like a puzzle. Men and women living stronger and wholer lives. We find that these differences in responsibility are rooted in creation, Genesis 1 and 2. But we also find that these roles, these differences, are corrupted in the fall that happens in Genesis 3. We're rooted in creation, but it got twisted there when man and woman sinned. Scripture clearly teaches that sin did not create manhood or womanhood. God did. Okay, it wasn't, you know, the differences didn't come because of sin. We were different because God created us this way. Scripture shows us that sin did not bring diversity. Sin did not bring complementarian roles into existence. God did. 
So before sin ever entered the world, God ordained and fitted Adam to be a loving, caring, and strong leader for his wife, Eve. Before sin entered the world, God ordained a fitted Eve to be a partner who supports and honors the leadership of her husband, Adam, as it is to be carried through his faithfulness to God. Both in the image of God, both equal in their likeness and personhood to God, both are different in their personhood, and that's what Scripture gives us. I want to give you a word here. It's an important word. It's the word pattern, all right? Pattern. What does that mean? In the Bible, beginning in Genesis, we have a pattern that is established between men and women. Here's the pattern. Same but different. Same but different. It runs all the way through Scripture, all the way to the book of Revelation. Same but different. Same, equal with God, created in His image, but different in our roles. I believe that when this pattern is found in the home, when this pattern is found in the church, it is a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I go back to, what's the pattern between God and the Lord? Same, but different. God the Father, God the Son are the same. But God the Father, God the, God the Son is different, as well as the Holy Spirit. There's a beautiful picture created of the, the, uh, the bride, the church, and Christ, our Lord. There's a beautiful picture of His grace in this biblical pattern. So when you reject the biblical standard, we believe, to live uh, uh, in another pattern, then it becomes easy to reject the one who gives us those standards. And that's what Satan is wanting to do. He wants to get us to choose a different way. He wants us to choose a little different course. That's been his temptation since the beginning. What did, what did he say to Eve? Hey, you take a bite of this tree or this fruit, you, you, can, you can be how you want to be. You don't have to live as God has asked you to live. Just live like you want to live. Adam and Eve made that mistake, and the world has been making that same mistake ever since. Lesson three, community offers delight. The only thing in the creation story that God said was not good was that man was alone. Everything else in creation that God created, he said what? It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. But when he came to man, he said, it's not good. And it wasn't that man was not perfect in the way that he was created. It was not man uh, was not uh, a beautiful design in and of himself. What was not good was that he was alone. God said man needs community. And when God said, all right, man needs community, God needs uh, another person to be whole, he said, I've got it. He needs a woman. And God created Eve. So creation teaches that we're better together and we have different roles that are given and are better when they complement one another. That's what creation teaches. Now, point number two. See, we're moving quick. What Christian scripture tells us. And this is kind of where it gets a little bit harder. This is where some of the issues begin to arise. In particular, how are those roles played out in Scripture then? Same and different. 
How do we work it out? How, do, how does it show itself? How does it live itself out? And that's where the battle lines today has been drawn. And by the way, I want to remind you, Satan loves nothing better than to cause a dispute in the church. He lives to get us to disagree with each other and to be disunified in our cause for Christ. So what, what do complementarians uh, see and hold as far as the pattern that's given in Genesis that is reinforced through the Scripture? How does that live out in the church and in real-day ministry? Well, let me say that it does not mean that in any way somehow women are less. Let me tell you something. If you didn't understand it, women play a major role in the Bible. One of the books I've been reading, and I've been reading this for a while, is the women of the Bible. And let me tell you, it's a, I've enjoyed the heck out of this book. It's not very long. Uh, it's really short pages for each woman that, that, that is talked about. But here's the funny thing about the women of the Bible. Some are heroes and some are villains. I mean, some are good guys and some are bad guys. All right? Some are Cinderella's and some are Cruella de Vil's. All right? I mean, you, you, you find a good gamut of women, all right, uh, in the Bible. And the scripture puts this pattern together, same and different. Now, I asked you to earlier open up to 1 Corinthians 11. We're finally there, by the way. And I want to look at verses 1 through 16. And this is the big text. And this is a hard text. Matter of fact, a lot of times if, if a pastor is going through 1 Corinthians, he'll skip over this one uh, because it's just, uh, it is a, it's a hard one to, to not only uh, to, to, to study, a hard one to preach, and it's a hard one to kind of uh, get in your mind. But listen to what Paul says here. Verse 1, 1 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me, Paul says, as I'm an imitator of Christ. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain, underscore this word, you can highlight it, traditions. I think another word might fit there, the word patterns. Even as I've delivered them to you, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. You can underscore that whole little phrase there. You know what that is, dear friend? That's a pattern, isn't it? You see it? There's a pattern being spelled out there. Same but different. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays... Uh, uh, or prophecies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since uh, it is the same as if her head were shaven for if a wife will not cover her head then she should cut her, her hair short but since it's disgraceful for a, a wife to cut her uh, hair or shave her head uh, let her cover her head for a man ought not to cover his head since he is in the image of God uh, image of the glory of God but woman is the glory of man let me just say this about that passage the Bible makes it clear it's possible to do a right thing in a wrong way. All right? I mean, you know what he's talking about? He's talking about praying to God. But he's talking to the Corinthian people. He said, you're doing a right thing, but you're doing it in a wrong way. And then he says here, verse 8, For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. And neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Uh, he's talking about that pattern again. That is, a, that is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the, Lord, uh, in the Lord woman is not independent of the man, nor man of the woman. For as a woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. Judge for yourself, is it proper 
for a wife to pray to God and with her head uncovered. Notice what he says, all things are from God. God gets the final say on this, all right? God gets the final say. And so he's put this pattern together again. In verse 14, or verse 13, judge for yourself it is proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered. Uh, do not, uh, does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him. But if a woman has long hair, it is for her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. And then he says, if anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Uh, that last line's important, if anyone is inclined to be contentious. In other words, Paul says, don't get caught up in majoring on minors. Don't let these second-tier convictions, these second-tier issues get you tripped up in doing the main thing, and that is to give God to uh, the glory of your life. Well, what I want you to see there is that there is patterns that Paul is talking about in this very complicated text. And what Paul is talking about here in chapter 11 too is who's going to be in authority? Who's going to be the one that's going to be uh, in responsibility? Look, just like a director uh, of a movie or a stage makes assignments, just like in football a coach gives out assignments to a quarterback, or just like a teacher who gets an assignment uh, from the school uh, to teach to her kids, who gives out to the kids, God has given different assignments. He's given different roles and different privileges to the church as a whole. And he said to, to each of you, there's different things that I want you to do. I want to say it again. And I think it's one of the failures of, of our culture today. But everything isn't always about what we want or what we think is right or what we think is fair. Our culture today is so me, 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 me that we fail to understand that the Bible is not me, 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 but it's Christ, 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 Christ. When we come to Christ, we die to ourselves. We're saying, Lord, we'll take up your cross and we will follow you. And it is our belief, it is the belief that the Bible says there is a complementarian pattern of same and different that's played out so that God can display to this world a picture of his grace in his image. We may not understand it, we may not like it, but we are obedient. So when 1 Corinthians, you get here, in short order, God is simply saying there needs to be unity and solidarity. He says, I expect men to act like men and women to behave like women. And I expect there to be properness in worship and ministry in the church. So that's what chapter 11 is all about. It's a tough chapter. Now, let me just say how this plays out. What we call the rubber hits the road. And uh, how the ministry of women serves out. And, and let me be clear. Women are not given secondary jobs. There are no ancillary jobs in the church. Every function that happens in the church is of supreme importance to God. Friend, if you hand out bulletins on Sunday, your job is just as important as the man that stands behind the pulpit. If you're working in the nursery, that's just as important as God's man in the pulpit. Doesn't matter what you do. If you're opening a door, if you're picking up coffee cups or giving serving coffee, it doesn't matter what you do. If you're teaching Sunday school, every function 
is of supreme importance to God. So how does this play out? How does it play out both in evangelism and ministry uh, of the saints to one another? Well, let me give you a few things. Women were first, uh, this is some things to bear in mind. Women were first to witness the Lord's resurrection. I think that speaks to how God wants us to understand women are important. Women were involved immediately after the Lord's ascension. Women gathered along with the apostles and disciples to pray in the upper room. They prayed and they also enjoyed out enjoyed the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the proclamation of speaking in tongues and the declaration of wonderful works. Read uh, Acts. Acts chapter 5 verse 14 says, uh, There was a response to the teaching of the word. A multitude were added to the church, both men and women. Women were gifted with the Holy Spirit, have spiritual gifts just as men are. And they are to use those gifts in the interchange of the body of Christ and ongoing of life and the ministry uh, unto the saints. One of the early converts, Mary, the mother of John Mark, gave her house as a meeting place for the saints in Jerusalem. One of the first churches in our world, meeting buildings, was because of a woman who was the mother of John Mark. Lydia, another lady who lived in Philippi, also opened up her home in the same fashion. There was hospitality that was granted throughout uh, the, the New Testament by uh, women in ministry. In Romans, chapter, uh, uh, in Romans, in the last chapter, there are 26 individuals listed by Paul who are singled out because of their significance to service. Eight of those 26 are women. Basically, folks... Men and women serve together. The only office, the only function that God has withheld from women, according to his word, is preaching and teaching and authority over men. And it's not because a woman cannot do it. It's because God has a pattern of grace that he wants to share. And let me tell you, that's where we are. Let me also share with you this morning that we're, you know, we're a lot like our sister church there in Memphis, and I'm going to pick on the big one, Bellevue. They're a good example of Southern Baptist doctrine and belief. I'm also going to pick on Dr. Rogers. I don't know if there was a more conservative uh, preacher in all of the Southern Baptist life than Dr. Rogers. He was a former uh, president of the Southern Baptist Convention. As a matter of fact, he preached on this chapter. Uh, his title to his message was Women in Ministry. And if you want to know what we think, it falls right in line with he said with what Dr. Rogers said in that message. So, what do we do at First Baptist? How do we how do we see this lived out? Well, let me give you four things. Women may witness. Verse five of chapter eleven. Women prophecy. That's what that means. There, that means to give a witness. Women are able to give a prophecy of witness. Lottie Moon, I mean, you think about this. Lottie Moon, our number one foreign, our number one mission uh, uh, focus is based upon what? A woman. Lottie Moon went to China. She was a mighty witness. Do you know that there were some that complained that she might be sort of preaching? And actually, Lottie Moon was teaching women, but she was so effective that men would sneak in to hear her. And when they began to fuss at Lottie Moon, you know what she said to them? Send some men to China. Listen, a woman may stand in public assembly and give exhortation, edify, and comfort 
if she's a woman under authority. She was there because she was serving under the, the ministry of lead men who were supporting her ministry there and doing her work. I thank God for women who have the gift of edification to build up, exhort, to fire up, to comfort, to shore up. And I'll tell you right, quite frankly, if we didn't have women in this church that were willing to, to, to serve under their pastor, to teach uh, in roles such as Sunday school, we wouldn't, have sun, we wouldn't have half our Sunday school classes filled. It's kind of hard to get a man to teach, I'll be honest with you. And I'll tell you that some of the best teachers I've, I have ever known have been women who are faithful to study the Word of God. And because they're faithful, men come in and say, would you share the lesson with us? Women can teach as they're under authority of the pastor of their church. Number two, women may worship. It's clearly, clearly taught that if her head is covered, in other words, if she's under authority, she can pray. Occasionally we have women in our church who pray. They pray under the authority of the pastor. Uh, if you cut out women praying in the Bible, do you realize how much of the Bible you'd have to cut out? And let me ask you something. I, I did this. I've done this this last couple of weeks. Uh, asked a few people. If I were to ask you to name your top 10 prayer warriors, top 20 prayer warriors, is any of them a man? I'm going to be honest with you. The top 20 prayer warriors I've known as a Christian all of my life, I don't have one man listed in the top 20. Women have a heart for praying. An older God that we would not keep them silent, but let their daughters hear them from time to time pray and know that we respect the heart of our women, the heart of our mothers. Number three, women give wisdom. It's not directly referred to in chapter 11, but Judges 4.4, 4, now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, uh, was judging Israel at the time, and she used to sit under the psalm uh, uh, of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the, and, and the people of Israel came to her for judgment, for wisdom. Women have great wisdom. Our women, some, some of the best planners we have are women. I want to say this, when COVID hit, we turned to women. Our deacons got together. I said, guys, we need a task, task force. And I had a short list of those that I wanted to be on it. And number one, leading it was a woman. I knew that Susan not only had experience, but she was also more than able. And I knew she was tenacious. And many of the women on it were served in, in roles of health care and nursing care and nursing home care. And let me say something. As far as I know, we've not had an outbreak here because they helped put in together safe protocols to keep us safe. And I still ask them from time to time, where are we, how are we doing, and what do we need to do? Thank God for the, the wonderful wisdom that some of our ladies have. Women work. Verses 11 and 12, verse 3. They work. They, they, they serve Christ. They serve the church. They serve their homes. If it weren't for women, I'll tell you, three-fourths of everything around here wouldn't get done. Three-fourths of everything in our home wouldn't get done. 
Women are a beautiful picture of how the Lord has chosen out his servants to serve him in submission to his grace and to his goodness. All our women are so wonderful. They can prophecy, pray, plan, perform. They witness work uh, and have wisdom and worship. They can do all these things. But the Bible teaches there's not, they're not to be pastors. They're not to serve in that authoritative place. And it's a reason. Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.12, I suffer not a woman to teach, nor usurp the authority over a man. God says there's an order that he wants in his church. There's a reason that he wants us to be that way. I want to close that today. I want to close with you with just one more story. Uh, I was really excited this week. I was able to get a hold of Stephen B. Clark's Man and Womanhood in Christ. This is the gold standard, by the way, uh, really for both on uh, both views. Uh, his work is so comprehensive. Uh, unfortunately, it's not in a digital form. And I was going to buy it, but it was $90. And I thought, but I'm not preaching that sermon again for another 10 years, so I'm not going to buy a $90 book. But I did go to Union, and I checked it out. And so I've been reading through it all week. But you want to know the only thing I could use out of this whole book for you today was in the preface. But anyway. But it's our clothes. Listen to what Stephen Clark says. When a group of Christians I belonged to used to gather together for prayer, we would sometimes sing songs that had separated parts for men and women. For a while, however, we did not pay much attention to the fact that men and women were supposed to sing different parts. We felt that men and women did the things together, they just should do them basically the same way. So when our music leaders would introduce a song that had different parts for men and women, they would instruct everyone to sing the whole song together. At one point, however, under the encouragement of some who were convinced of the value of separate parts for men and women, we began to sing some of those songs the way they were originally written. Tenor, bass, alto, soprano. Did I get that right? So when we did this, the consensus was something worthwhile it had been added to our ability to sing in the worship of the Lord. In fact, most people became enthusiastic about this new dimension of beauty and expression that had been added to our life together. The lesson is symbolic of an important truth. Men and women should live together in love and serve the Lord together. Most of what they should be doing is the same. But as we learn how to perceive and draw upon the value of what is distinctive to men and women, our life together becomes stronger and more beautiful. There is something worthwhile about women for which men cannot substitute and vice versa. Now listen to the last line here. When we live our life together as Christians, the way it's written, it becomes better. What are, what's the goal of the complementarian view of Baptist in our church? That we can do the work of Christ the better way, being faithful to his word. It may not be popular in culture today, and there may be great pushback on it, but we're going to stay true to our convictions. And while they're not absolute, they're important because they're more than opinions. It is what makes us us. And it is what makes us us that we hope and pray is a witness to this world that there is a God in heaven 
who were created in his image that were the same yet different as he's the same yet different in three persons. And it is that God who has given his life for our sins. And that's the picture we want the world to see when we serve together a better way. Heavenly Father, this morning, we pray for men and women and the roles that they play. Lord, today we live in a, in a day and an age where we need to honor our women and our girls and our ladies in a better way. Lord, we've been reminded today in, in, in this world that we live that, that women have long been, long been looked down upon or abused and mistreated. And Lord, that, that, that has been guilty, unfortunately, in the church. Some of the greatest sins have been those that have happened in the church. And those, those sins, Lord, we confess and we repent of. And Lord, we want the world to know that, that we respect and we love every person made in your image. And it's not just those who are of the faith, it's even those who are lost, Lord. Lord, perhaps today someone's listening to the message and they, they haven't really thought about the fact that you've loved them so much that you gave your only son, you gave your life for their sins, that they are made in your image to know you, to have a relationship with you. But Lord, seeing how that faith is lived out and worked out in the church, even when, it, even when it's a struggle, even when we don't always agree, Lord, it gives honor to you. And in that honor and that glory given to you, there's that desire to come to you and know you as Savior. Lord, whatever decision might need to be made, today here, online, Lord, however, whatever it is, profession of faith, recommitment, a commitment to the church, let your will be done, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing. The Lord's spoken. You come. We pray God's blessings upon you as you worship with us today. If God has led you to make a decision today for Jesus, we would love to hear about it. We invite you to come to our website, cometothecross.net. Our online decision card will allow you to tell us about the decision that you're making. All decisions, all contacts are kept private and are confidential. However, we would be able to pray for you and perhaps I'd even be able to call you and pray with you about what God has led you to do if you so desire. So fill out the form, let us know, and just know that we love you and God loves you. And we're excited that you're taking this first step for God today.